Getting sober requires a lot more than mind over matter, a lot more than willpower. It's about leveraging the support around you. People in recovery typically need a mix of medical help, emotional support, and changes in lifestyle to manage their addiction, not just mental determination. As both a therapist and someone embracing the recovery lifestyle, there's one tool I always recommend to people needing extra accountability, Soberlink. Soberlink is a high-tech breath analyzer system designed to help you get and stay sober. And here's why I love it. You'll test the same day every day, eliminating testing anxiety. Friends and family receive instant test results, helping you rebuild trust and preventing relapse. Accountability is a part of that, and it's something to really be embraced. Devices have built-in facial recognition, so your support circle knows you're testing, and tamper-resistant sensors flag any attempts at trying to beat the system, so your sobriety is never questioned. So let 2024 be your best year yet. Visit Soberlink.com forward slash T-A-M to sign up and receive $50 off your device. That's Soberlink.com forward slash T-A-M. And let accountability be your guide. All right, everyone, welcome to the Addicted Mind podcast. We are on to episode 120. My name is Dwayne Osterlin, and I'm your host. And our guest today is Kate Russell, and she is the author of Down the Rabbit Hole, a memoir of abuse, addiction, and recovery. As I'm recording this intro, I just finished the interview with Kate. And I have to say, after reading her book and hearing her story and understanding what she went through, it was awesome to meet her today and be able to see her on the other side of all that. And it was just really inspiring. And I hope as you listen to the episode that you are inspired as well and that you enjoyed it as as much as I did. So before we start, once again, please, if you are enjoying The Addictive Mind, rate and review us in iTunes. I really do appreciate that. And also think about joining our Facebook group and go to Facebook and type in The Addictive Mind podcast, click join and continue the conversation online there as well. All right, let's go ahead and start this interview with Kate. All right, everyone, welcome to The Addicted Mind podcast. My guest today is Kate Russell, and she is the author of Down the Rabbit Hole, which I love the title, uh, a memoir of abuse, addiction, and recovery. Kate, introduce yourself. Hi, I'm Kate Russell. Uh, I'm so happy to be here. I have been binging your podcast. Oh, thanks, thanks. I love it. Yeah. Oh, thank <laughs> you so much. It's a, kind of a passion project that I've done, and I, I love... I can tell, yeah. Yeah, and I love stories like yours of kind of coming through the muck, uh, as we were kind of talking earlier before we started recording, just coming through all of the hardship and kind of getting to the other side of it. So tell me about you and let's start talking about your book. Okay. Uh, so my name is Kate Russell. You know, we were talking about like, why, why did I write this book? And I just knew when I was a little girl and I grew up in an abusive home, I think as many addicts did. and. Uh, I just was like, one, one, one day, I'm going to write this. 
I'm this, right. I'm going to write a book about what is happening right now because I knew even when I was really young that I wasn't alone. I knew I had this what I call the inner God voice, which I talk a lot about in the book. Um, this very strong sense and belief and feeling that everything was going to be okay, um, and I don't know where that came from except that I did have this ingrained faith that I don't know if I was born with or if it came from being with my grandmother who I used to pray with at night uh, when I would spend the night at her house and just, or just if maybe that's just a survival mechanism that children of alcoholics develop in order to survive. Cause I had a, you know, abusive situation and, you know, both my parents were abusive addicts and I, I just knew, you know, one day this is going to make a great book right. <laughs> and that'll, That'll sort of be my, <laughs> my revenge, <laughs> not revenge, but you know what I mean? Um, yeah, no, I, I totally get, I, I totally get that. <laughs> um, and just to give it to context of people who haven't, haven't read your book. And I, I definitely encourage people to, you really go through the story of your childhood from the very beginning of your, of your memories and kind of outline how this abuse, what took place and, and how it, manifested itself kind of as, as it went along and as you experience it kind of as a child and you kind of lay that out. And at times it's heart-wrenching to read. I, I'm thinking of this little girl of going through that and just the, oh, the narcissistic abuse that you went through. And you said earlier, you had this God voice that kind of spoke to you, that kind of moved you through the, that hardship. Tell me a little bit about that. You know, I, I don't, the older I get and the more I learn about the addicted mind, and I was so excited to be asked to be on your podcast because <laughs> that's really what the book ended up being about for me, um, was the mind, you know, uh, how addiction it, it, just how our minds work. It's just how our minds work, not just addicts, but just how the mind works. The mind is like a snowflake. We are just all different. <laughs> and right, yeah. it's like, so I, I had um, an ex-boyfriend who ended up going to a neurologist for something he was having, like some head issue that he didn't know what was going on. And, the neuro and he went to one of the best neurologists in the country. And the neurologist told him, like they did an MRI, they did a CAT scan. And the neurologist said to him, look, we know something's wrong because you're not feeling well. You're having this like head tingling sensation and this pressure, but there's no pain. So we know it's probably not dangerous. He said, there are over a hundred thousand neurotransmitters in the brain and modern science is familiar with about a hundred of them. That's how slowly neuroscience is developing. The brain is so complex. We just can't get a, a huge, we just can't get an understanding of it because there aren't enough examples to back up one, one thing. So when we talk about the God voice, I now think that it was a coping mechanism, but I still, but I still think of, you know, God to me is still that sense that everything is going to be okay. Right. Um, and that really strong belief. And I still feel that way today because things do not always go my way. <laughs> right, Life right. still happens even after you get sober, which was, which was a, a hard and continues to be a hard lesson to learn <laughs> that right. we are not what happy, joyous and free 100% of the time. I was like, what? Oh, that's, hmm. Oh, um, right. but, uh, <laughs> it's still hard. Even if, if you, even if you get better and get through some of this trauma, life's still, uh, difficult at times. Yeah. yeah. And so, uh, but I still have a strong sense that ultimately everything is going to be okay. Right. Even if it's not okay, everything's going to be okay. <laughs> you know, I'm right. going to be okay. 
And yeah. I got that really in the book because I'm reading the stories of 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 the abuse, you know, that you suffered and and at, at the hands of kind of narcissistic parents were in their own trauma and and doing all these things and this young girl kind of surviving it, but was also really interesting as we follow this girl through her life, you know, and and, and she gets older and older, she starts to see the same things kind of come on to you know, her life that she witnessed. And I, I would love to talk about that a little bit, like that mm -hmm. moving through the abuse and then kind of finding your own space. Uh, how do you say it? in it? You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. So one of the things I talk about and, you know, it's not pretty, it doesn't paint me in a good light was I became an abuser of my sister. Um, my sister's five years younger than me and I was physically abused. And uh, the way, and that so my parents would scare me with physical abuse in order to get me to do what they wanted, right. To behave, whatever. Right, um, right. and it worked. So when my, so, and then I became my sister's mom as soon as she was born, because my mom was napping off a hangover and my dad was at work. And so I was the mom, right. So I had to take care of her. I was five, you know? And so when she would cry, I would hold my hand over her mouth. When she would not do what I wanted, I would hit her because I didn't know, you know, I was right, like, what? Yeah. But here's the, here's, what's crazy. This is a whole chapter in the book, um, is it didn't work for her. Right. <laughs> she didn't do yeah. what I wanted her to do. And I was like, what, what is happening? What do you mean? I was like, would you, I was like, you know, Sibby, just do, just put away your clothes, just do what you're supposed to do. And she was like, no. And I was like, what do you mean? No. <laughs> I was like, I would like grab her and like dig my nails into her. And she, you know, I don't mean when she was five, I mean, like, as we got older, cause I, right. her mom, right. her whole life basically um but you were also you know, totally terrified too because you were terrified that you were going to get absolutely. hit or abused or absolutely I mean, it was just like growing up in terror yeah yeah so that so so that's how i and i noticed that that came to the the chapter in the book that i talk about was we were let's see she was eight i think and i was 13 when that happened when i first got a glimpse of like this doesn't work on everyone scare tactics don't work on everyone uh, fear doesn't work to motivate everyone. What do you mean? You know, and then I started to realize we're not all created equal. You know, her brain works differently than mine, which we kind of already knew because she had been already in some psych words and stuff. I'm actually working on my second book, which is called voicemails from my sister. And it's all about her because I can't get too into her into this book because the book was just so I did. And then the book was 160,000 words. And I was like, oh, this is much too long. Right, <laughs> this is two right. books. So, um, so the second book goes more into her and we talk more about the mind because she ended up with schizoaffective bipolar disorder, I believe as a direct result of being, uh, fed drugs and alcohol in the womb. So, right, um, right. Yeah. So that's how I first became my parents by becoming the abuser. And then as I got older and I became addicted to substances, I started to empathize more with my parents and just naturally forgive them because I saw I was the same. I absolutely am cut from the same cloth. Our brains work the same. I got addiction from my parents. I got it. I think my sister got mental illness from my mother. Um, or maybe my father too. I don't know. He's undiagnosed. We won't go to a doctor, you know, but I got addiction. She got mental illness. And so I just naturally forgave my mom before I ever got sober or got into a recovery program. I just had already completely forgiven her because I saw that I was absolutely becoming her and that she really did the best she could most of the time. And she was just really sick, really young. 
What was that moment like when you, you started to kind of see the parallel between your your mom and yourself and, and addiction? And what was that like? Yeah, uh, it was gradual. Um, the, it was like the older I got, the more I used, the more I saw how important and how necessary a mind-altering substance was for my day, for a happy day, you know, the more I understood this is exactly what my mother went through. And so I talk about in the book, my drug of choice was marijuana, which then in the later parts became alcohol became a necessary daily supplement because if you smoke marijuana every day, you no longer get high (laughs) and get high for like 10 minutes and then you just feel normal. So I would then drink to feel a buzz. Um, And I just was like, so we are the same that this, the, the way my brain is operating is the same way her brain operated. Only she liked alcohol and I liked weed. There's no real difference. The disease is the same. The way the brain works is the same. I believe I used it as a reward. And so did she, she never drank during the day. She was one of these, um, she would, she was a very, um, she, she would do throughout her day. Well, she would, she would sleep until she was not, you know, able to get up. Then she would do chores and stuff. She would do mom like stuff. She would do the necessary check-in off of the to-do list. Then at night, when the sun went down, it was like, this is my time. This is my reward. And she would drink until she blacked out, until she fell asleep. Or well, she would get abusive, but like, that's a whole other part of the book. <laughs> right. right. Yeah. And, and and a lot of times what I what I found, you know, when you, you talk about this in the book, is that you would often just go back to her hoping that it was going to be better this time. Oh, yeah. And I mean, that's being disappointed, do. but like just doing it kind of over and over again. Yeah. I mean, what kids don't know any better. They really think their parents, you know, are, are I don't know. We, we, when you're, I mean, you're a kid, you don't know yeah, your parents are just course. human beings. You don't know what it's like to be a, a drug addict, an adult, um, you know, and she, she would make promises though, you know? Yeah. And so of course I believed that she was gonna keep those promises. You know, she would, you know, and after they weren't even promises after a while, they were like good intentions. But still, as a kid, I really always wanted um, a normal, healthy family. Um, I had all these friends that had these normal, healthy families. And I just had this terrible situation. And I was never quiet about it, though. I always I was always I was never one of these kids who felt like I had a secret to hide. I, I, I wasn't proud of it, but I never kept quiet about it either. I told I had a lot of supportive friends and I told, you know, everybody knew my situation. Their parents knew my situation. So their parents empathized, sympathized, would let me come over. You know, I went to school counselors. I tried, I called DCF. I tried to get put into the system. I wa- I just wanted out real bad. But yeah, like my mother would periodically go to an AA meeting. The longest she ever actually stayed sober was seven months. And that's when my dad actually left her. And that's when I was 13. And uh, he was, he started divorce proceedings and she went to AA. She managed to get seven months sober. And she said, and this is a chapter in the book too. She said, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm sober. I want to, I want my family back. I want, you know, I, 
I want my family back. I love you. I miss you. You know, and my dad actually came to me and my sister and said, you know, your mom wants us to give her another shot. Do you think we should? And I do believe if we had said no, he would not have. And we said yes, because, but what are you asking an eight and a 13 year old for actually, you know? <laughs> right. <laughs> really. right. Of but course. Like, I know. I mean, not what are you asking us for? You, you, that's nice. But so then we like, yes. And then it really only took like two weeks before they were drunk and I walked in. But then later in life, as is at the end of the book, right. <laughs> my communication with my dad, he actually blames me for if, it, if it, you're the one that made me take your mother back or you and your sister told me that, you know, if, if you hadn't said that, I wouldn't have done it. And we, you know, sort of blaming us for the choices he made. And it's like, wow. And talk about the addicted mind right now. I don't know what his drug of choice is, to be honest with you, but talk about the addicted. I th- you think he has the ism. He has the ism, whether that's he's adopted. So I don't know adult child, whether that's Alanonism, what, whether that is addiction, it could be, he's just a real controlled addict. Like he's somebody who like, he could be actually addicted to alcohol. I'm not, but I'm not sure. Right. I don't like have right. a relationship with him anymore, but you know, his mind just goes down that rabbit hole, which is what the title of the book means. Like to go down the rabbit hole into your negative thinking to become triggered and then just fall and not be able to dig your way out because you don't know how you don't have the tools. So he, that's how, that's how he lives his life now. And it's a sad life. Like we don't talk. He is not happy. He has said he wants to die. Like but he yeah. doesn't want to do anything. He doesn't want to change anything either. Right. So it's like, well, okay, what? <laughs> you, you, yeah. ha- you have to, yeah, it's hard because, you know, there's suffering, but you, you have to take some kind of action of course. To, to, to help yourself. Um, you, you mentioned down the rabbit hole. This is a question I wanted to ask you because you talk about that a lot in the book, going down the rabbit hole. And it's the title of the book. Mm-hmm. What do you mean by that? Yeah. To, to the people that are listening, haven't read the book. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no. Mean? So down rabbit hole refers to falling down into triggered thinking. So triggered thinking is when we revert back into helpless childhood, the helplessness we felt in our childhood. So I get triggered now when somebody like critiques my work or something like I'll, and I know it's, ha- but the difference is now I know it's happening. I'm like, oh, now I'm triggered. Damn it. You know? And I'm like, right, right. Have to like, it's go, like oh, all right. I am. <laughs> you know, and I'm like, damn it, damn it, damn it. You know, but you fall down the hole, you know, when it's happening, like if you just start, you talk about mindfulness a lot on your podcast. And mm-hmm. uh, if, if you become mindful of the way your of your thought patterns, you'll see, we all do this. We all fall down the rabbit hole all the time. Um, just what triggers us might be different. Um, so I, I, you know, when I was young, I would fall down into self-pity a lot. I would fall down the rabbit hole into self-pity a lot. Like, of course I did. I was being abused, but nonetheless, what that is, is it's a place of being stuck. Like I was stuck because I had no tools to get out of that pattern of negative thinking. My brain, I would seriously like get hit by my parents, go into my room, sit on my bed and go down into my head, just go into my thoughts. And they were negative thoughts. They were self-pity. I just, I was just an abused little girl, but I, I went there and I went there hundred percent and I went, you know, and I had, I saw no way out. And I was like, this is okay. I'm just going to, you know, just victimhood, just going down that. That was my that's my rabbit hole or it was then it's similar now, but it's triggered by different things. So just falling down the hole of negative thinking and and not having a way out. 
And you, you talk about in the book, as you get older and these addictions start to develop, you know, you, you talk about kind of going into the rabbit hole. And in a way, I saw it as, as these addictions in the beginning were your attempt to try and get out of it, but not very successful. You know, it's funny. I didn't, I didn't know that I was using drugs to feel differently, if that makes any sense. I, I think it makes a lot of sense. <laughs> I... I started smoking pot and I was like, oh, I like this slight change in perspective. That's what I would say if someone were to ask me, well, why do you smoke pot every day? You know, because I started smoking pot when I was 16 and I immediately started smoking it every day. I was like, yes, I love this. But I, what I liked was that, well, first of all, it, it worked really well for whatever I had, <laughs> depression, right. yeah. uh, al whatever I had when I was 16 it worked so well to help cure for about two years uh, before like bad consequences started happening. But I just said, I like the slight change in perspective. I feel like I'm normally here and then I smoke some weed and I feel here and it's not, I'm still super productive. Oh, I had all the excuses in the world, but they were true. I was super productive. My grades went up. I went from getting C's and D's in school to getting A's and A pluses. I became driven. I was going to a performing arts high school and I suddenly was like, oh my God, I see how my dreams can become a reality. They were just a pipe dream before how could you know now I see how they're tangible and within my reach and I can get to so what a lovely combination marijuana substances uh, <laughs> right. and and uh achievement were coming together so they went hand in hand for me and then as life went on consequences started happening but I kept going no 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 these substances help me they they go with the success they do they do they do <laughs> and right. just trying to like force it you know um <laughs> right. meanwhile like you know blackouts are happening and incomprehensible demoralization as we say or yeah sorry, things are starting to like fall apart <laughs> this wonderful yeah. formula that you found isn't working anymore. And, you, and you can't achieve that like i couldn't yeah. achieve the correct buzz if you will you know i just couldn't uh anymore or it was so rare that it just wasn't worth it and meanwhile that i did feel this like they call it a god-shaped hole but i would say yeah because once i started to to get sober, I was like, yeah, I would say that that's ringing true for me. Like that, just that hole, you start to feel that hole. You're like, right. oh, <laughs> I didn't yeah, know. Yeah, the, the, the drugs no longer uh, are, aren't very successful at, at covering up that, that deeper level of pain or loneliness so, or depression or anxiety, yeah. whatever it is. So, right. Yeah. And then you start to realize, like, oh, wait, this isn't, this isn't quite working anymore. I know. And that's a sad, hard realization. Yeah. Yes, you know. definitely. And that's that's painful. But what I see also in you as, as I read the book is like we were saying earlier, you know, you had this internal voice that said to you, you're going to be OK. The it, tremendous resiliency that you had and that you captured. Tell me a little bit about about that, that resiliency, because that, that also got you to start looking at that emptiness, I guess. Yeah. You know, <laughs> so I was not raised with any religion. In fact, my mother said the words, there is no God. We are not going to teach you about religion. If you are, and I was young, very young. And if you are interested, you can go ahead and learn about it yourself when you're older and then make your own decisions. But we're not going to force a religion on you. And what that really was, was laziness. They didn't want to teach 
(laughs) me anything. Um, you know, and my mother, I think was so anti-God because her life had been a mess and I guess she blamed God or just thought God didn't exist if she was, you know, given handed such a crappy existence or whatever childhood herself. But my grandmother, my dad's mother secretly had me baptized, which when my mother found out, she was through the roof. She was a not happy. Right. Um, wow. So I don't know. I don't know. I'm not super, I'm not religious. I didn't, I wasn't raised with a religion. I don't know much about religion. Although right now I am reading the Bible because I don't have a job and I'm in quarantine. And so I'm like, oh, <laughs> right. let me read. And it's always a Jeopardy category. And I'm like, I need to learn about it. <laughs> and I have a Bible. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to read it. So I'm like making myself do a Bible study. So, um, and I'm interested. I'm interested in all things spiritual. And I, I have been at, so but it sounds like that, like what you were saying, I mean, it sounds like that openness, that willingness to explore is, is also a part of who you are. And it also, it sounds like it, it, it helped you start to move into like looking at that because then you start in the book, you start to, you start to reach out to 12 step programs. You start kind of reaching out to support. You start like reaching out for, for help. Yeah. I mean, I always reached out. Like I went to my school counselors and I was like, hello, I am being abused. Um, and you need to call DCF. <laughs> like, so I was always reaching out for help. It wasn't always, you know, like, yeah. like met with the, you know, results I would have hoped. But, uh, uh, so my, like I knew about AA, uh, my mother, like I said, would occasionally go to meetings. She did have some time sober. I knew that. And she had said to me when I was younger, she was like, if you want to get sober, A is the only way. Now, I don't know that I believe that that is true. I think there are plenty of ways, but so I knew, so I knew when I wanted to get sober, I was like, well, I got to go to AA. That's, (laughs) it's the only way apparently. I didn't know at that point, but, um, you know, I mean, and then as my addiction was like, I had a very serious dependency on ephedrine for many years. And I thought I was going to have a heart attack and die. I really thought I was, I mean, it was so bad. I mean, I was having heart palpitations all day. It's quite a miracle that I didn't have a heart attack or a stroke. And so at that point, I was about like 21, 22, I was about 22. I went to, uh, have an evaluation for an outpatient, um, rehab because I was like, I have to get off this. Um, I'm going to die. And, um, they were like, yeah, you can do outpatient outpatient. And they gave me a, you know, a meeting directory for AA and I never went and I never went to treatment and I weaned myself off of ephedrine, but it took years and it's a miracle again, that nothing bad happened. And then just, I just weaned myself off of that. But yes, the the reaching out for help was, was never, so I knew about AA. It was never an issue. It was never like, I don't know where to go or where to turn. No, my mother did AA. I knew AA exists. I took my sister to Al-Anon when she was younger. And I thought I was being a super good sister and like good mom to her by taking her. I was taking her to Al-Anon. Let's be clear. Right, I right. wasn't going to Al-Anon with her. We, right. I, was taking, I was doing it for her because I was fun. You know, right. by the way, I was always fun. Like I'm right. a, um, I am a smoother outer. I am a peacemaker, a peacekeeper, a mother, a, you know, um, everything right, is fine. Right. I'm fine. <laughs> Right, right. <laughs> I'm not, but that's you <laughs> yeah. know that's that's how my brain worked. Um, I know you were able to sw- you were able to kind of start to to see that dynamic, like um, and that switch. You started to be able to see yourself, or, or really, you know, you also begin to set boundaries and and put boundaries down, and you start to have this kind of awakening. Mm. Yeah. Through sobriety, I've been sober nine and a half years. Um, and so definitely through sobriety, I, 
I, a lot of change, I will say sobriety has been a slow unpeeling of the onion of myself. Yeah. <laughs> um, a slow, slow unpeeling of the onion of myself. <laughs> slow. Because I, slow. I still realize things about myself that once I realize them, I go, how did I not know that until now? <laughs> you know, how... How did I not know that about myself until now that I do that? I, I do that. I do that, you know, uh, the way that I operate again, how my brain works, you know, um, how my thinking then manifests in behavior, you know, uh, how did I not know that about my, that I've been doing this my whole life and it's not healthy. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> so know? like getting, getting sober, open that window for you. Yes. It, that's what I think recovery is. It's just like slowly unpeeling the onion, you, you know, and I didn't know, I didn't know that's what it was. I didn't, I thought you get sober, you put down drugs and alcohol, and then you were happy, joyous and free 100% of the time. I literally thought that was what was going to happen. And then it didn't happen. And I was like, well, what am I doing this for? And I had to, but the thing was, I, well, a couple things like life is always, is my life better sober? The answer to that question is always yes, even if I'm having a bad day. And if I go back out there and use, I will end up back in the rooms of AA or I'll end up dead first. Like I just right. will, because it's, it's as I've been so like, they, like it's a progressive disease and it's progressing even though I'm sober. So if I go back out and use, I'm going to use voraciously, like I'm going to make up for lost time. But what that really is, is that your disease has advanced. And so you're going to use like you would have used had you not put down, you know, right. The drugs right. and alcohol. So, um, so yes, it's also like, quote unquote, trying to make up for lost time or, or fun. If, <laughs> as we so often describe these crazy, um, vendors. Right. <laughs> Um, <laughs> so it, but, it, it really, uh, yeah. it, it opened you up and you, and you, and it sounds like for you, you realize that if you, if you drink again, that, that might be the end. You don't know if, if you will ever come back from that, um, yeah, which I know makes a lot of sense. Now, so yeah. 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 But it sounds like uh, that was also, like you said earlier, it was a slow process. Yeah. It's slow getting to know yourself. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And I think, you know, if, if anybody's listening out there kind of realizing, like, I, I think that's such an important point to make, like, this doesn't happen overnight. This is something no. that you, you, you know, you work on to slowly try and make your life better. Yeah. And things for me got worse way before they got better. You know, when I got sober, there's, you know, a, I guess a, a pink cloud, if you will call it, but what it really was. I think is just that life is everything's different, but everything was the same. I had the same job, same apartment, um, you know, same cars, you know, but I was sober, but I, everything was new and different. I'm like, Oh, I'm vacuuming my house and I'm not stoned. Oh, I'm doing errands and I'm not stoned. Oh, I'm going to work and I'm not going to drink when I get home. You know, that kind of thing, right. new and different, new and different. What I was going to say too, is one of the things that I noticed as I was reading the book and also noticed as I'm talking to you now is the incredible amount of, of compassion that you, you're showing for yourself, but you're also showing, you also show in a way to your parents too, you know, as I read the book, as you understand them, having Aww. like boundaries, but also kind of, I guess, getting them and, and, and like you said, forgiving them. A little bit. Aww. I want to. I want to talk about that a little bit. I'm so glad to hear you say that. That's really nice because uh, a lot of feedback I get about the book is it's so sad, <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, but you know what? It's a little bit more than just so sad. <laughs> Did you not right. get anything else that I was saying? Because uh, I did. 
you're yes, I I am not angry at my dad. I'm not angry at my mother. And that may be hard to believe, but I'm not. I I feel I feel really bad for my dad. He just I just wish that he knew how easy it would be to to be happy. Not that it's easy, not that the work that I'm doing, you know, in recovery has been easy, but it's I think it's so much easier than I think he fears that it is. You know, he is so stubborn and set in his ways. And what that really is, at least what I think it really is, the addicted mind, is fear. Fear to change. It's fear. You are set in your ways. And I love sometimes I'll do a, a tenth step. I'll do some writing on like if I if I'm because if we I love this. If whenever there is a problem, it is a problem within me. Um, because that means I get to just go ahead and work through it. Just get out my pen and paper and work through it. And I will often get to the bottom of what's really going on there. And um, it's like I have fear of that. And a lot of what I have fear about, because I am definitely my father's daughter, is changing the beliefs that I was raised with. Um, Because I was raised with such an iron fist, so rigidly to have such staunch beliefs about hard work, work ethic, things of that nature, that when I look around at the world and I see that everyone's got an easier time of it than I do in terms of like, they're just taking it easy. And I'm like, no, you've got to work harder. You got to do, you know, that what that really is, that anger really is, is fear. And so if he would just do this little bit of work, that's not, it's not that hard. It's not easy, but it's not that hard. He could be happy. He could do a 180 with his life. And he, instead he literally is just, he's trying to kill himself with food, cigarettes, salt, just you name it. He's just trying to, he's trying to end his life without pulling the trigger. And it's sad. It's just sad. You know, you don't, you're choosing to live this way and you don't have to, but what am I going to do about it? You know, if you don't want to change, you don't want to change. Right. But I, I think like, you know, I think for maybe not your father, but for other people, like reading your book is is putting your story out there. I mean, it helps people realize that there's something on the on the other side around this fear that we all have. I mean, you know, I mean, shoot, I still encounter it in many ways in my life. It pops up, and you're like, oh my gosh, I can't do that. You know, and you sit down and you wait, wait, what am I really scared of here? What what is really going on? But I think that's just so true and if you can step over that fear or around it or get support for it um or just it makes be that... afraid do it anyway yeah. who cares yeah. so what do it anyway. so you're scared do it anyway <laughs> yeah do it anyway. <laughs> you know yeah just do it you're, you're gonna <laughs> yeah. do it you're, you're gonna, yeah yeah i yeah i could agree with that too <laughs> sometimes you just have to do it and and just huh. walk into it and uh get to the other side and realize like oh that wasn't that bad yeah exactly it's always when you get to the other side, you always look back and go, it wasn't, it wasn't that bad. Or you know what? It was hard at times. It was, but I, but I got through it. And if I can get through it, so can, so can you, you know, really. And I didn't used to think that was true. There would be people I would see that were sober and they would say those words, if I can do it, you can do it. And I'd be like, I don't think you know me. Right. <laughs> right. You don't know me. You yeah. don't know me. Uh, you don't get to say that. <laughs> I'm but, specially yeah. wounded. <laughs> yes. Yes. I'm unique. I'm I'm unique. Yeah. 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 Yeah, Definitely. (laughs) Well, awesome, Kate. I it's so awesome to have you on the podcast and talk to you. You are full of so much energy and positive energy. I I love our conversation. So yeah, this is so fun. Thank you. Before we go, I I would love if anybody's listening. I hope people are listening. (laughs) You know, (laughs) out to our conversation, and maybe they're struggling in some way. Maybe they struggled with a really difficult past, like your past, or 
or abuse and, and are struggling with addiction, what, what do you want to say to them? Yeah, just, you know, I love feel the fear and do it anyway. So who cares? I know it's scary to change. It's scary. If, you know, if you've listened to this past half hour or however long it, <laughs> we've been talking, everything I want to say, I've said, but let me reiterate that it is okay to have a bad day. It is okay to feel fear. Sobriety, uh, recovery is not all rainbows and puppies and that's okay. Just keep going. Uh, sometimes you might have to sit on your hands. Crying helps. If you cry, you're getting through the feeling. You're getting through the emotion. It is cleansing. Go ahead and cry. There are so many, you know, AA, I don't think is the only way. It is a great way, but there are so many ways to achieve sobriety. Just Google it. <laughs> you right. know? I want to get sober. How do I do it? Just Google it. You will find so many response, so many, you know, um, and talking about it helps. Yeah. And yeah, yeah, that's, awesome. that's it. <laughs> awesome. How can people find your book or find more information about you? How can, how can they get a hold of you? If they want to ask. So more. my website is katerussellauthor.com. So K-A-T-E-R-U-S-S-E-L-L author.com. You can buy the book through there. The book is also available on Amazon and on Audible. I narrate it on Audible. It's Down the Rabbit Hole, a memoir of abuse, addiction, and recovery. So yeah, subscribe. If you go to my website, subscribe. Yeah, and I got it on Audible. I, you did a great job narrating too. I, I loved it. Oh, so. that's a whole long story, but thank you. <laughs> I would imagine I was like, how to read your whole book and do the narration, but it was really good. So I, I really good. enjoyed it. So. I'm glad because I haven't listened to it because it was... It, <laughs> I, I just was like, people said it was good. I was like, good. I'm not doing this again. I had to record that book twice. Oh my God. Oh it was my God. Oh. oh my well, God. Someday we'll have to talk about how, how, <laughs> how that went because that, that would be an amazing story. So thank you, Kate, so much oh, for, thank for you. coming on. I just appreciate you being part of the Addicted Mind podcast. Yay. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Addicted Mind podcast. As usual, all the show notes will be at theaddictedmind.com forward slash 120. And uh, there you can click to Kate's website and also uh, click to her book as well, which I definitely uh, recommend uh, getting and, and listening. I really enjoyed it. All right, everyone. Thank you for supporting the Addicted Mind podcast. And also, I want to encourage people to reach out to me. If you know someone who you think would be a good guest on the Addicted Mind podcast, I would love to know. And um, if you have any feedback about the Addicted Mind podcast or suggestions, I'd love to hear that too. You can just go to the um, addictedmind.com and click on the contact link and uh, fill out the form and let me know. Love to hear from you. All right, everyone, be safe and have a wonderful day. And I will talk to you on the next episode. It's easy to blame ourselves for our struggles with alcohol. We see people around us being able to control their drinking without any consequences, yet no matter what we try, we can't seem to figure it out for ourselves. 
My name is Jillian Teets, and I am the host of the Sober Powered Podcast, where I use my biochemistry background to explain the latest research in addiction and help you understand both why you drink the way you do and how to develop the skills and mindset you need to find freedom from alcohol. I discuss topics like why we think about our drinking 24-7, why we have no off switch, and why we crave alcohol. If you're struggling with your drinking or you know someone who is, then I hope that you will check out the Sober Powered Podcast. New episodes every Friday. See you there.